what would you do if you knew this was the last night of the world? What would I do? You mean, seriously? Yeah, seriously. I don't know. I hadn't thought. She turned the handle of the silver coffee pot toward him and placed the two cups in their saucers. He poured some coffee. In the background, the two small girls were playing blocks on the parlor rug in the light of the green hurricane lamps. There was an easy, clean aroma of brewed coffee in the evening air. Well, better start thinking about it, he said. In the Last Night of the World by Ray Bradbury, a couple prepares for the end of all human existence. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. This is the glorious return of Short Story Short Podcast. As always, Christy L. Baxter is here with Christopher J. Garcia. And we did so much with our summer vacation. I finished pretending to write a book. I, I cooked a lot of meals that required only one pot. And I, uh, I looked at some things that I couldn't figure out whether there were pornography or not. How about you? You know, they say some, something about pornography that, you know, you know it when you see it. But apparently we've, we've reached a new level where uh, you no longer know it when you see it. Yeah, that's welcome to the 21st century. Population, you. <laughs> yeah. I, over our summer break, uh, read some books <laughs> and got a little tan and just dealt with the joy that is constant chronic pain. Zah! <sighs> but you know what I did also? I read a short story. Oh my God, you never do that. I don't. And uh, I think you read the same short story in a dream. Yes, by some amazing coincidence, we both read the same short story, and that was The Last Night of the World by Ray Bradbury. Let me short... (laughs) (laughs) We're back at it just the same as it was every time. Um, Nothing has changed. (laughs) Let me make sure we're recording, yes. (laughs) (laughs) For the third time. (laughs) This is 1950s sci-fi at its least exciting. (laughs) But at the same time, it is 100% a reaction to that 1950s sci-fi that we think of as 1950s sci-fi. I really like that interpretation of it as a reaction. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yes, bang on. Yes, that is very true. It feels like this is sort of addressing the human aspect of all those those big ideas that 50 sci-fi was exploring, especially being, you know, uh, our place in this universe and whether it's going to last. Mm-hmm. And I think what's fascinating about this take on the impending apocalypse story that was so popular uh, following the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and really just Hiroshima, no one thinks about Nagasaki for some reason just like it happened, um, is that the way that this approaches it is not 
specifically nuclear. I'm yeah. sorry, nuclear. Oh, man. You had to do that, didn't you? How about nuclear? <laughs> nuclear. Nuclear, yeah. See, there you go. Um, and with that, you remove the paranoia from the sensation of it. And what's fascinating about this story is none of the characters have a paranoia. They are simply accepting what's going on. Like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, who does that? And I, I guess it's just a sign of how accepting they are of this. One thing I caught was I was like, I don't care if comfort can be found in routines. I am not washing the dishes on my last day on Earth. Nope, not happening. <laughs> Those 30 dishes can just disappear and, to, uh, you know, blink away into non-existence with the rest of us. I might pack the dishwasher, but I'm not rinsing. <laughs> Wicked crab wipe by the balls, Chris. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said here for taking that that terror aspect because we had already seen stories at this point of you know people know the world is about to end and they're out there being all hand waving scared freaky doing things that they can't do um basically living the purge <laughs> and this is so different because it's so one on one thing it's very personal and it's the personal reaction to these grand events so you could say, well, this isn't a universal because it's just these people, this very limited group. But at the same time, we have no indication that the rest of the world is going crazy. And that's sort of a message here is that we don't necessarily have to go crazy as we go barreling towards the sun. We can take it and, I guess, internalize it and let it flow over us. Yeah, this story takes a really both somehow optimistic and fatalistic view of humanity's reaction to the end of times as we know them and it's interesting that you can be both at the same time but yeah that that calmness and that acceptance um it definitely feels like we're seeing into a house that is like many other houses on this planet and what's happening in all the other houses is probably the same thing these aren't outliers Otherwise, it, it feels like, I don't know, that, that that kind of chaos and pandemonium and fear would have to enter the story. You would have no choice. You would have to do that in order to point out the contrast of how these people were acting if it were somehow a one-off. So it definitely feels like this sort of calm is throughout the world. And I wonder if that, to take it to a, a kind of more sci-fi angle, I wonder if that is somehow like some sort of like biological thing you know, however the world is ending, whatever is happening, a, a part of it is also making everybody really calm about it. So what you're saying is that aliens have hotboxed the entire planet uh, to bring the chill, which I like. I want to write that story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But this is also something about Ray's writing and Ray was a dear friend. Um, I made it through almost 10 minutes of this podcast without 
mentioning my friendship with Ray Bradbury. Who I, I am impressed personally. I, I feel like you, you're making great strides in um, holding off on your, your wonderful name dropping. Uh, just, you, you still, you're still going to do it. And, and that's what we love about you, but you're going to wait. <laughs> I'm going to mention that to John Scalzi when we're on a panel at Worldcon next week. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think one of the things Bradbury was sort of known for was being a writer who the mainstream took seriously, even in the early days. And here he is writing what could be read as mimetic fiction with this types of science fiction story. And he does this with fantasy, and this could also be a fantasy story. We don't know the nature of the destruction of the world enough to understand what it is. And I think that is also why Bray Bradbury gets some nose-looking downing uh, by genre fans, is because he uses aspects, and usually it is the table setting of genre, and then layers on a more traditional fictional concept as the way he approaches it. Now, this is not true of The Velt, which we also read, is one of my all-time favorite stories, where he dives headlong into the science fiction. Oh, yeah. Here, he starts on a ledge of science fiction and slowly lets himself down uh, until he lands gently on his feet, just as the world ends. <laughs> and then R.E.M. writes a song about it. I knew I felt fine. <laughs> and, and here, again, this is actually something I've noticed. I've been doing a lot of reading of uh, both William Saroyan and uh, that other woman who just died, Joan Didion. And both of them have a very, not necessarily simplistic, not necessarily even spare, but a very humanely nuanced style. Here, that's very apparent. There is no going off into corners in language in this one. It's very straightforward. It's very clear. It is well-constructed. And I think that's what Bradbury's superpower was. Like, he was good with plot. He was okay with character, sometimes better than others. But he understood how to give you exactly as complicated a linguistic piece as you needed to tell that story. Agreed. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like he's, he's wordsmithing the crap out of it. Because <laughs> this is a simple story, and simple stories are the hardest to write. Absolutely, absolutely. We uh, very much like to get all up in our heads and to overcomplicate things. And simple is simple is very, very difficult. I also feel like if Ray Bradbury were still around or had come around during like the past like 20, 40 years ish, then he would be one of those authors that the, you know, uh, speculative fiction establishment and the literary establishment play tug of war over. He'd be Juno Diaz. I get that. Um, yeah, exactly. Without the harassment. Uh <laughs> I think one of the things that I hope Ray Bradbury's 
writing will continue to be seen as. And I don't think, I think he's one of those authors who, whose legacy doesn't go away when they pass away. And we're seeing a lot of authors like that recently. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm going back to Joan Didion. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I'll go back to Joyce Carol Oates when she passes away. Uh, oh, don't talk about that day. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Bradbury's legacy is this ability to get into all corners of a room. The, the simple stories told simply, the complicated stories told complicatedly, the complicated stories told simply, and the simple stories told complicatedly, um, all of which he can do. And I think that is why he has staying power. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing overly complex or hard sci-fi or in this, it, which in a way, it makes it more universal, which is perfect because it's a story about humanity and its universality. Correct. And if universality... condemnation nor an acceptance uh, <laughs> good to know that you are perfectly neutral about it exactly hey hey christy yes got anything else on this one no pretty much no i really uh i enjoyed it i felt like it was really touched on something very very human uh if you're playing the drinking game where you drink every time i say human 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 um, but yeah, I, this, this felt like a very, it, it, on the one hand, it, it does kind of beggar suspension of disbelief a little bit because it's like, would people act that way? But then you settle into the story very quickly and it feels, it feels right and it feels nice. So that's all I got on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Agreed. Uh, also if you're playing the drinking game, visceral, um, <laughs> human visceral human visceral hey christy yes what should we read next week next week we should read the glacier by idra novi and it's my turn to name drop because i talked to her last week <laughs> <laughs> well done i didn't talk to anyone famous last week so <laughs> finally i win <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, until then, this hath been short story. Short podcast. <laughs> Verily. Verily.